But with the Lord's help, we'll preach it or do our best anyway. I don't know how much you keep up with current events. But if you've watched Fox News lately, I, I know they had at least one published report. I don't know that it was on the television, but it was in print. And I've seen it several places on Facebook. I hope you all are planning on living it up this week. Because Jesus is coming back next Monday. Did you hear that? I don't know if anyone really heard that or saw the reports. You can look it up. But based on biblical signs and and prophecies that are clear in Scripture, experts have determined, experts in quotes, have determined that the rapture will occur next Monday, April 23rd. And Jesus will come back for his redeemed, and so we'll start the end times. You reckon churches across America might be a little more full next Sunday? Unfortunately, I fear that some will. But they say that that's based on clear biblical signs, that it's right there in black and white, and you can see what it is. So, so let's look at a little bit of that, and we'll go to Matthew chapter 24, if you want to turn with me. Matthew chapter 24. Now, first of all, I'll make it clear that I think I probably agree with you that there is no rapture of the church. Amen. That is a contrivance that the tradition that I grew up in taught me that. And I, I tried to preach a message this morning where I talked about that. When you're, when you're growing up and you're taught that this is what this means and, and this is the eschatology, this is what will happen at the end then you start to buy into it and and you know all of how they get what they get and where it comes from and somehow in a convoluted way it makes sense. But let me tell you that the rapture of the church and that whole construct is one of the most contrived things I've ever heard of. And I'm thankful that when the Lord called me to preach, he also started teaching me and I had to dig into things. And so what I'm one thing I'm thankful for is that a lot of the doctrine that I have that agrees with Missionary Baptist Church doctrine does not come from Missionary Baptist Churches because I wasn't raised in them. The Lord led me to Missionary Baptist doctrine mm-hmm. and led me to a Missionary Baptist Church and the Holy Spirit taught me. So the truth is there available for those who will seek it. Mm-hmm. For those who seek truth, the Lord will teach. Yes, he will. But in, John, in Revelation chapter 4, there is a period after John has written the letters where he says he heard a voice saying, Come up hither! And I will show you what, must, what things must come to pass. And so the th- great theologians of the time, in order to advance their theory, have posited that John represents the church. So that when John is told to come up hither, that that is a picture of the Lord rapturing his church. Wow. Wow. To think about that just blows my mind because I could find any number of places in Scripture where I could say that this prophet or that prophet or this picture represents the church. So that maybe instead of there being a rapture, maybe, maybe Elijah represents the church and what's going to happen is one day the Lord will come in a big fiery school bus and take us away. I'm being satirical, but you see where I'm coming from there. It, it's contrived. It's made up. And maybe one day we'll all just kind of 
disappear like Enoch. Because Enoch represents the church. But still, this is something that I'd been taught and something that I knew to be true. So in searching it out, in searching it out, the Lord sent me to the craziest place to find the truth. He said, why don't you go see what Jesus said since he's the one coming back at all. So that's what I did. And you see, in, in, in determining that, Jesus never talks about coming halfway to take some people back before he comes back. He never mentions that. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, there will be a great separation. And that's all he says. The one coming back, I think, knows the plan. So I'll knock that down. I'm not going to say that the Lord isn't coming back next Monday yet. I'll get there. But I will go ahead and categorically state, without going any further in a sermon, that I believe a rapture to be unbiblical. And, and antithetical to what we're trying to teach people in terms of the preparedness of their souls. Mm-hmm. So if you have, or if anyone who may listen later has any inclination to think that maybe you'll be spared the great tribulation because you'll be caught up with the Lord in the air and get to watch the misery unfold on earth, you're mistaken in your eschatology. And what is the motivation behind that kind of belief? What is the motivation behind that kind of doctrine? Seems rather self-centered. So I don't believe that to be true. But here in Matthew 24, since the signs of the times are so apparent, so clear in black and white that we can pinpoint a date, April 23rd, that the Lord will come back, let's look at some of those signs. Matthew chapter 24 Jesus has just left the temple. And it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for, to show him the, building of, the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? See, that's a natural response. Because Jesus had just said that the thing that you and your nation hold most sacred, most dear, not one stone of it will be left. It will all be utterly destroyed. This religious construct you have created will be wiped out. So, of course, naturally they come and say, when will these things be? And they go a step farther and say, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so after this, we're going to see these black and white signs that will clearly point to April 23rd, 2018. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Does any of this sound familiar? Some of this has sounded familiar now for, I don't know, 2,000 years. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. 
Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Now he's telling them this, and yet there are those who say that the church will be taken out and spared. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Is this still sounding familiar? But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And yet again, where is this idea of a rapture coming from? That is so prevalent against what say they are the Lord's people that are studied in Scripture. The whole idea of the rapture is that the Lord takes His church and then the tribulation begins on earth. The tribulation such as there never was nor ever shall be again. Right? The church isn't even there for it. And yet the Lord Himself says that no flesh should survive those days where the days not shortened, but for the elect's sake they're shortened. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the elect. Mm -hmm. So if they're shortened for the elect's sake, that means we're here. That means we're here. Moving on, then, if any shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Here we get into what's coming for April 23rd. If any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, Believe it not. Believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. Great signs and wonders including contrived evidence based on biblical passages taken out of context. Shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. 
And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So reports have gone up that Jesus is coming back April 23rd. It's clear from biblical signs, from prophecies being interpreted, and calculations made that are clear. The signs in the heavens will be, and they talk about how the sun and the moon will be in line with Virgo. They're talking astrology. And saying that astrology determines that Jesus will be back on April 23rd. And it sounds so convincing that a good lie, if it were possible, would deceive even the very elect. But I love the comfort that is in that line, if it were possible. Jesus makes it clear that his elect will not be deceived by such nonsense. And then he makes it clear that no man knows the hour of his coming. Not even the angels. Not even Jesus in his flesh knew the hour of his coming. Only the Father in heaven knows when that day will be. So there are many in our world today who may be feeling alarmed. There are many that call themselves brothers and sisters that may either be feeling alarmed or feeling a new sense of urgency or they may be scoffing at it because so many times it's come and gone before with these kinds of predictions but either way all of it is distracting we're distracting from the truth of the gospel with such nonsense because what Jesus was really trying to tell us With chapter 24, he was leading into chapter 25. Now, I'm not going to read all of that, but if you read on into it, you would see that chapter 25 is a series of parables. One is the parable of the virgins, keeping their lamps trimmed and ready, but some weren't ready. Some ran out of oil. They weren't prepared for when the bridegroom came. And that's followed up with the parable of of the stewards and the talents. A lesson on how we redeem the time with the, with, the, with the gifts that we're given to steward. The time that we're given to steward. And in all of it, everyone, in every one of those parables, no one knows when the master will return. Mm-hmm. It's true. No one knows when the bridegroom will come. The virgins just have to keep their lamps trimmed and burning. Because no one knows the hour that the bridegroom comes. And that's actually akin to an ancient nuptial uh, festival. 
was that the bridegroom would come at an unannounced time. There would not be a a wedding date set, an invitation sent in the mail six months prior. A contract would be made, and then the bridegroom would go to prepare his place. Oh, what a beautiful picture that the bridegroom would set the contract. He would have his betrothed, and then he would go away to prepare his place for his bride. And when it was ready, there would be no notice given. The bridegroom would simply come. Mm -hmm. And the bridegroom needed to be ready. Or not the bridegroom, the bride needed to be ready. As with all of her attendants. And with the stewards, they they were given talents, each according to his ability. And told to be faithful stewards. One given five, one given two talents, one given one. But none were told when the master would return. But when he did, he expected an account. So in chapter 24, we're given signs. Many of which are ominous. Many of which are foreboding. Many, they all don't tell of happy times. Wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, famines, great tribulation, persecution. These aren't things any of us look forward to. But this is sin coming to its head. And when sin reaches its head, God will exact justice on sin. But he says, when you see these things happen, know that the time is nigh. Well, there have been wars and rumors of wars since, oh, I don't know, sometime before Jesus came. And there have been wars and rumors of wars ever since Jesus left. California had an earthquake off its coast last week. There have been earthquakes all around the world for years. There have been tsunamis, there have been pestilences, there have been famines, there have been, there have been droughts in various parts of the world here and there. And when there's, not, when there's a drought in the south, then they're having mudslides and uncontrollable rain in the west. There's always something everywhere. And it's funny to me that when the di- disciples say, what is the sign of your coming? Jesus gives them these signs, but not first. The first thing he says is, be careful that you be not deceived. Let no man deceive you. And then he gives all of these signs, all of these warnings, all of these things to come. He says, when you see these things, know that the time is nigh. But no man knows the hour. And he goes on from there into these parables. Because in the end, here's what I can tell you about April 23rd. If the Lord doesn't come back before then, it will happen next Monday. And it is quite possible that Jesus could come back. One thing is sure is that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And it's possible that if he doesn't delay his coming, he could come on April 23rd. However, because people have predicted that, I don't think he will, just for that reason. But it could be next Sunday. It could be before this service is over tonight. 
at a time of his own choosing, the Lord Jesus Christ will come back. And chapter 24 and chapter 25, all of the discourses and all of the parables are just an expanded way of Jesus saying, be ready. So here's my question for you tonight. Are you ready? If the Lord comes back tonight, are you ready? If he comes back tomorrow, are you ready? I don't know the condition of anyone's hearts here. No one can. I'm assuming that here on a Sunday night, most of us are probably faithful folks who who have been saved. Most of us probably are. But I don't know that. Only you can know that. That's between you and the Lord. So I ask you, if he delays not his coming, are you ready? Because the Lord will come back. All of this tribulation that we read about in chapter 24, and and Paul goes into great detail talking about how rampant sin is, and talks about what sin is. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will grow cold. But we see in our world today that natural affection has gone out the window. What was it in, in Dixon County this past week? Here, we're not in Tennessee now. I'm in Kentucky now. <clears throat> in Dixon County, Tennessee, just west of Nashville a little bit, a five-year-old little boy's life was snuffed out by his parents. And the father confessed to it and confessed to hiding the body and refuses to cooperate. And you'd think the mother would turn on him, but she won't. What is wrong with people? You hear stories like that, and and my first thought is, what is wrong with people? But because iniquity abounds, the love of many has grown cold. Natural affection has gone out the window. We see that from time to... We see that all over the place. We see that in the way people deal with one another, the, the lack of just common respect for other persons, the lack of respect for personal property. And we tend to eschew it as, oh man, the good old days when people respected one another and, and had common courtesy. It's, I hate to see those days gone, but the Lord warned us it was coming. Because iniquity continues to abound. The earth is in open rebellion against God. That is sin. Sin isn't just the acts that are, that are bad behavior. Sin is the spirit of open rebellion that unless we are regenerate, we are born with that sense of rebellion against God. This sense of, of um, self-reliance that we can make our own way and do it ourselves. That we can fabricate and create our own righteousness. The Lord will exact his righteousness. When the stench of sin reaches his nostrils with the right severity. When the fullness of the iniquity 
has reached him. He will end it. I mean, we even see that uh, there for a while, Israel couldn't go to the promised land. And one of the reasons was the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You remember that? They, they couldn't go conquer part of the promised land yet because the iniquity in the land was not yet full. It was not time to overthrow them yet. There is a time for God. We don't know what that is. We don't know what that level is. All we can do is look around at the, at the sin that is around us and weep and mourn because it besmirches the glory of God for such to go on. Our world thumbs its nose at the Lord that we love. And yet all too often we, even as the Lord's people, even though we're ready for his coming, we become ensnared in that very system and in that very sin. And we begin thumbing our nose at God. So my question tonight is not just for those, yes, I want to know, I want you to examine yourself. If the Lord delays not His coming, are you ready? But for those of us who are saved, the other question is, are you ready? Are you ready to give an account like the stewards had to? What have you done with the time that He has given you? What have you done with the talents that He has given you to invest, to multiply in the time that He has been away? Are you ready to give an account for how you have redeemed your time? Because he could come back tonight. And when he comes, he will expect an account. But here's the other thing. We even talked about this earlier and the, and the, and the sister mentioned that she's, she's glad there's an opportunity. You want to protect young people from death. But you can't. There's a reality to it. We'd like to protect all of our little ones, but my little girls in the last two years have lost a grandfather, a grandmother, an aunt, and a cat. That's a lot of loss for little kids in two years. But we need to be prepared to face that truth because the truth is we all got in vehicles to come here tonight, correct? Correct? So basically, we strapped ourselves into large missiles that may or may not hit a target on the way home. We all put ourselves in peril because we left the house. Every time we take a drink of water, we put ourselves in peril because anything could jostle us or choke us and we could inhale water and drown. Every time we take a bite of food, we can choke. Life is so fragile. Mm-hmm. It is. <clears throat> My sister, barely 35 years old, was driving home one night and had no idea she'd ever make it home. And one of the questions I have is was she ready? I don't know. The Lord's given me peace in a way about it. But I don't know if that's a peace that says she was ready or if it's a peace that says it's not yours to worry about, Bob. But the bottom line is, any, any of us could not make it home tonight. Any of us could not make it out of this building tonight. 
About six years ago, my brother went home, asked his daughter for a drink of water, and as she went to get, go in the kitchen, she heard him slump over. Massive heart attack. He was 38. And this isn't a poor, pitiful me night. It's just that in light of this, I, I'm, I'm seeing that, at least in my life, I've had lots of examples recently where otherwise healthy people that should have had a lifetime to live are now examples that life is fragile and can be cut short at any moment. And you must be ready. True. So if you're not saved tonight, I'm not going to throw out a huge invitation. I just want you to know, if you're not saved, and this is at all fearful to you, that may be the Holy Spirit nudging you. And if you feel any draw of the Holy Spirit, then you need to seek the Lord. And you don't need to wait till the end of this message. You need to get on your knees right now and seek the Lord. And seek until you find And if you're not feeling a draw of the Holy Spirit, but you still know you're not saved, then I challenge you to pray for conviction to fall. Because you need to be ready. But for those of us who are saved, I challenge us to question, are we ready? Should the Lord come back tonight, are we ready to give an account? And even if He doesn't come back, should the Lord call us to account tonight, are we ready? Should the Lord call us home before we make it to our respective homes here? Are we ready to give an account of how we have stewarded the talents that he entrusted to us? Have we kept our lamps trimmed and burning? Are we ready for the bridegroom to come? No man knows the day or the hour. Not even the angels. Only the Father. And since no man knows the day day or the hour, it's easy to say, well, I've always got tomorrow. I've always got tomorrow. There's always next week. Is there? The Bible calls someone who planned for the future like that a fool. You fool, tonight your life will be required of you. And what will happen to your riches then? Are you prepared? There's the old song that says, Are you prepared to meet your God? And we tend to think of that as an, in, as an invitational song, begging sinners to come to repentance. But I'm asking the saved people here tonight too, are you prepared to meet your God? And is the reality that that is imminent is it real for you because I'm going to step on my own toes here I don't think it is for me it might be a little more right in this moment but when I step down from this from this platform will it be as real to me then and here's why I say that how many of you here have members of your family that are lost and without the Lord anyone How are we not weeping until our tears are like blood? If we know that it could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be five minutes from now, and we have loved ones that, that as far as we know, are lost and bound for hell. And yet the prayer life in American churches is at a low end. 
So I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm, I'm saying that that's me too. Why am I not on my knees for the people in my family? When I still had time to pray for my sister, why was I not on my knees? So I wonder, is the reality that Jesus is coming and could come anytime? Is it real to us? Real to us enough that we're filled with a sense of urgency to pray, to witness, to spread the gospel. It should fill us with a sense of urgency. Notice I say a sense of urgency. For the child of God, it should not fill any of us with a sense of dread. Because what a magnificent thing, what a magnificent promise that despite all that we suffer here, all that we endure here, all that we see going on, ultimate justice will be served when the Lord Jesus comes back. Rights every wrong, makes every crooked place straight, makes every high place low and brings every valley plain. Everything will be made right. And in His grace, in His grace, we'll be with Him. What an encouragement. What an encouragement for us to know that He is coming back. We need not despair over the state of the world because the Lord is coming back. Yes, things look bad from time to time now. Things have looked bad for quite a few decades now. But the Lord's coming back. Why are we filled with dread? And why should, be we, why should we be filled with dread that He may be coming back? Let it fill us with hope. Let it fill us with expectation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But let, us, let it fill us with a sense of urgency. That the gospel be spread to all nations of the earth. And that includes the tribes of our families. That includes the tribe of the people that we work with and that we spend time with on a daily basis in our places of business or in our places of trade or where we toil our hobbies. In our schools, we're with people every day. And it's a huge mission field. We should be filled with a sense of urgency to pray and to tell people that there is a way and that he's coming and ask them are you ready just like I'm asking you are you ready unsaved soul are you ready dear saved saint are you ready to give an account no man knows the day or the hour But the hour is coming. Let's be ready.